God, what an incredible privilege it is to be in your presence and to know that you're here. God, that you beat us here this morning. That you want our worship, our praise. What a thought that is, God. We declare together, God, that you are the God of the universe, the God of time. The God that knows no beginning or end. That knows each of us deep in the recesses of our hearts and our minds. And you love us, God. What an incredible thought. Lord, we we want to just rest in your presence right now. And just ask that, that you would speak to us this morning. God, that we wouldn't miss it. That our minds wouldn't be cluttered, distracted. But that you would talk to us. And that would respond. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his willingness to go to the cross for us make everything new, to give us fresh chances and fresh starts. God, we know that this morning you want to do that in us. You want to remake us, reshape us, remold us. Give us a new beginning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I just want to say a special welcome to you. If you're here for the first time today, uh, welcome. We're glad that you're here. If you've been coming a long time, we're glad that you're here. I wanted to let you know in advance today that I think I'm going to preach about an hour, so we'll probably be done be done about one o'clock. If that, I hope that doesn't hope that doesn't bother anybody at all. Um, because I don't care, right? <laughs> oh, you're never supposed to have inside humor, right? If you're here for the first time, I'm a transplant. I'm glad to call DeWitt home. I'm glad to be at North Point, but I still cheer for Ohio State. So, But I will be cheering today, all right? Uh, go green, go white. Who cares? <laughs> Um, I, I do want to share uh, just a couple of random things going through my mind. Uh, two weeks from today is Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is such an incredible opportunity because around the world, around the world, people recognize Easter as something significant. And, um, and our message that day is going to be this changes everything. Um, the resurrection changes everything. Um, don't miss the opportunity to have some conversations with people at work, maybe with your family. Invite them to come to church. Um, the, the likelihood that people will say yes to come to church on Easter Sunday is really, really high. So uh, take advantage of that. Uh, don't miss that opportunity. Um, I want to share some news from our eldership that's, that's, uh, that's just really, really incredibly cool. Um, uh, when I first began to get acquainted with North Point uh, a year ago, and we began to have conversations about who their church was, it became clear early on that there was a deep desire within the eldership and within the staff and within the, the leaders of the church 
that North Point would be a place that took very seriously the, the call, the challenge to make disciples that could make other disciples. That's, that's really been something that we've talked about from the very beginning, that we want to be a place that makes it easy for people to take next steps in their walks, in, the, in their walk with Jesus. Um, and so uh, since, since I arrived last summer, we've been talking about what that looks like, how to put that in place. And in January, the eldership said, you know what, the next step that we need to take to help make progress on that is to hire, uh, to have a new role on staff that is a pastor of connections. Um, we talk about um, what's it mean to grow in, in Jesus at North Point, we, and we say, you know, there are three key things that you've got to be involved in, worship. You've got to be connected in worship. You've got to be worshiping individually, but you need to be in corporate worship as well. You need to connect with other people because life change happens in the context of relationships. It's in relationships that God really helps shape and mold us with his word to, to become like Jesus. And we need to serve. So worship, connect, serve. So in, in January... The elders made a decision. You know what? Our next uh, our next staff position that we're going to hire is a worship is a pastor of connections, pastor of connections, a connect pastor. And um, in February, we made the decision that we're going that God, uh, as we went through the process, we just had a clear sense that God had provided the person for us. We're going to reposition Chris Carter, our student pastor, into the role of pastor of connections. And uh, we're, we are just very jazzed about that, excited about it. Um, if you see Chris, yeah, you can uh, give that up. Um, that role, um, that role, what that's going to involve is um, it's so important that people be involved in life groups, in um, equip groups, in connect groups. That, that the leaders of those groups have a coaching structure that can help them um, deal with whatever comes up, uh, that we can have a clear path so that whether you've been a part of North Point for years and years and years or whether you're just coming for the first time, whether you've been following Jesus for years and years and years or whether you're just in the beginning stages of trying to figure out what that looks like, that we can have a clear path that people can take next steps all the way through so that, so that we can be a church full of people who are fully devoted to following Jesus and to making disciples that make more disciples. Um, some really cool things. Chris has been a part of the discussions over the last several years. So the, his heart for, for discipleship, his heart for, um, for groups and people being connected is really, really strong. Um, God has provided and, and, um, and really helped um, develop a great group of adult leaders in student ministry. So the, so the impact in terms of student ministry is really going to be kind of minimal. Those adult leaders are going to keep doing what they're doing. Uh, Chris is going to be available to help support and come alongside them. Chris is still going to be downstairs speaking occasionally um, in student ministry in, the, in, um, in group and merge. And uh, he'll be a part of that. That's going to be a cool thing. Um, and ultimately, when God provides for us a student pastor, Chris is going to be available to help walk alongside him um, and to help him acclimate into the body here and to take the steps that um, that uh, he needs to take so that student ministry can be a place where um, where those teens lives are being shaped and molded into the image of Jesus in a real powerful way that that will go on seamlessly as well. Chris is going to make the move and, and start that transition uh, or uh, assume that position on April 1st. Uh, that's just a couple of weeks away. Um, and we wanted to let you know that uh, we w- really wanted to let you know uh, 
so that you could pray. That's, that's really the bottom line. We want you to pray for three things. Um, pray for Chris. Pray that as Chris um, talks to leaders here at North Point, as he talks to people in similar positions around the country, that God would use those conversations to help, uh, help us develop just uh, a, a plan that can make it easy for people to follow Jesus. Um, and that, uh, that God would just work through Chris. So pray for Chris. Pray for the student leaders in, uh, or the adult leaders in student ministry, and, um, and pray for the church as a whole, that we really can be a place that impacts mid-Michigan, that impacts DeWitt and St. John's and Langsburg and uh, Lansing and well beyond that. that, that it can be a place where disciples grow and lost people can come to know Jesus. Um, let's, let's pray right now. God, I thank you for the work that you've been doing in us, in our church, um, in Chris, to lead us to this place. God, our, our desire is that we would be faithful stewards of the people and the talent and the resources that you've given us here. And that, um, God, that it might be an, a, an easy place for us to, to, uh, to determine what our next steps are. Those steps aren't always easy, God, but if we can make a, a path, a plan that's clear, uh, we want to do that. Um, help us, God, be the church that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, the, uh, have you ever stopped to think anything is easier if you have a model, right? If you have a pattern in front of you. Anything's easier to do with, uh, with a model. I'm not particularly technically savvy, but if I'm doing a project that involves creating the same thing over and over again, the first one for me is difficult. But when I get through that first one and then I can replicate that over and over and over again, um, it becomes a lot easier. Once there's a pattern, it gets easier. Um, hey there. Um, It's easier for us all when we can see things modeled in front of us. And that's why I'm excited about our scripture this morning. We've been working through the book of Acts. And in this passage of scripture that we're going to look at today, there is a model for us of what it looks like to share Jesus with an individual. This passage of scripture is actually the first individual um, account, individual description of a person coming to Jesus in the book of Acts. In Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 respond, but we don't see an individual person. 3,000 respond to the gospel. In Acts 3 and 4, we see Peter and John heal a lame man, but we don't hear really, Luke doesn't describe what happens for him in terms of his relationship with Jesus. We just see his physical healing and that that becomes an opportunity for Peter and John to preach to the Sanhedrin and throughout Jerusalem, the, the power of that example, the power of God's ability to change his life impacts all kinds of things. In, um, in Acts 5, when we talked about Ananias and Sapphira, talked about the power of God and um, their, their lie into the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, the power of the church then, as they began to pray for boldness, we see lots of what's going on in the life of the church, but we don't see an individual conversion. In Acts 6, um, when we talked about the appointment of the deacons, the seven deacons that came in to take care of a physical need that was in the church. Um, we saw that, but not really a conversion. The story of Stephen and ultimately him being martyred 
Um, he, he preaches the gospel, but it's not until Acts 8, not, not until Acts 8 in this encounter, that we see Philip begin to share um, with an individual person. And we see this pattern that hopefully today we can begin to implement and, and uh, replicate in our lives. Philip has an encounter with a guy. I just want to uh, do a little bit of, of lead time before we get into the scripture and, and just kind of set the stage. There is this guy who is a, uh, uh, an official in the government. He's a government official for, for the country of Ethiopia for, for a queen named Candace. And uh, um, her actual name wasn't Candace. Candace was kind of the title like Pharaoh or like Caesar. It was that kind of a title for Ethiopia who had uh, women queens that ruled the country. This particular guy was a eunuch, okay, a eunuch. Parents, you can have the conversation with your children over what constitutes a eunuch. All right, I'll let you do that. However, let me just kind of say it this way. Before this guy reached adolescence, before his body began to change, he had surgery that impacted him for the rest of his life. Are we all tracking? Okay, here. Um, And the reason that they did that they would take young kids who were promising, who had, who had bright minds, who they felt like they could trust, that, and they would, they would set them on a course that they would serve the government or serve a particular person. And if they had this particular surgery, they didn't have to worry about this guy as he grew up having any kind of romantic relationship with the queen, with anybody in the court. That was one reason why he was emasculated, why he became a eunuch. Um, The second reason was that it lessened the threat that there would be ultimately to the queen. Um, If there was somebody working high in the government, there was always the risk that they would come in and kill the person who was the king or the queen and take over. But in the case of a eunuch, he didn't have any heirs, anybody who would succeed him. Um, if he was able to accomplish the coup and it lessened the risk of that. So you've got this guy who's a eunuch. He's from Ethiopia. He's Jewish. OK, um, there's a large population of Jews in Ethiopia at this point in time. And he makes a journey that takes him from Ethiopia to Jerusalem so that he can come and worship. He's on his way back when we encounter him. And let's go now to Acts chapter eight, verse twenty six. Um, Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place or a deserted place. And he rose and went. Philip obeyed. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, 
About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What we find in this passage is a pattern for what it looks like to share Jesus with other people. It's a pattern that we can replicate, and I want to just share some some observations and some truths from this set of scripture that help us get there. Um, You know, Facebook is a source of great theology, right? Uh, You can can discover anything that you want on Facebook. This past week, um, Mark Batterson, who's a writer, he's actually the pastor, the lead pastor of National Community Church in in Washington, D.C., and I'm proud to say he's one of my Facebook friends, okay? Um, He wrote this on Facebook this week that I I just thought was great. Um, He wrote, worship is bragging about God to God, right? That's what we've been doing this morning. It's, it's saying, God, you are so great. You're the God of the universe. You're the one we adore. Evangelism is bragging about God to others, to people around us. It's telling the story of God to other people. And what, we, what we're going to look at today is what that looks like, to brag about God to others. The first thing that I want to share as, as we kind of unpack this, the, the, first, uh, the, the first observation is this. Sharing Jesus is about being responsive to God. Let me, let me uh, just kind of lead into that by saying sometimes when you come to church and there's a message on evangelism, a message on sharing your faith, uh, a message on telling the story of Jesus, we, we come out and we think, oh, I've got to go unpack this. I've got to go take this set of material and go do evangelism with someone. And the first thing that I want you to see from Philip with the, with the Ethiopian eunuch is that it was all about his response to God. An angel comes to Philip and says, hey, I want you to go from where you are and go to this road that's out in the middle of nowhere. Um, think about if you're Philip, what that looks like. Philip is uh, last week. We talked about if you read the first 25 verses of Acts chapter eight, Philip is in Samaria. He had been in Jerusalem when the persecution starts with Stephen's death. He goes down to the city of Samaria and in the city of Samaria, he heals people. He casts out demons and people come to know Jesus. Lots of people are baptized there. Lots of people take the step to follow Jesus there. There's all kinds of success. And an angel comes to him and an angel says, hey, I want to take you out of the city where there's all kinds of people, all kinds of response, all kinds of success. And I want you to go to this deserted road out in the middle of nowhere, the the road to Gaza. Um, One commentator I said said it, it looked like about a 50 mile journey for him to go from Samaria to this road. And God calls him to do that, and Philip responds to the call of God. When we begin to talk about sharing our faith, it's all about responding to the work that God is already doing ahead of us. Realize that God had all kinds of pieces in place 
when he says to Philip, go to this place. God is already working in the life of the eunuch. He's a Jew. He, he knows the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He knows that the eunuch has been to Jerusalem and that he's reading Isaiah as he, as he travels on his way home. God knows exactly what's going on, and he leads Philip to the exact spot at the exact time that, that the eunuch, as he's reading, is reading from Isaiah 53. God is the one in charge of the timing, the logistics, the location, and Philip simply responds. The, the, maybe the f- first part of being responsive to God, when we talk about telling the story of Jesus, is that we say to God, God, help me to recognize when you lead. Help me to recognize when you're working in somebody else and you want me to just come into the process and speak a word, ask a question. The, the second thing that, that in that whole idea of responding to God, sharing our faith, what's the first thing that Philip did when God brings him to the place where the eunuch is? The first thing that he did was listen so much of the time, when we begin to talk about spiritual things, we just start talking. We yak and yak and yak and yak and yak and yak. And we tell the story without ever listening first to where the other person is. Philip listened to the eunuch as he read. And not only did he listen, he then asked a question. He asked for explanation. He said, this guy's reading. And he says, do you, do you understand what it is that you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I understand without a teacher? Philip listens again. He listens. He asks a question. He listens some more before he ever begins to teach and unpack who Jesus is. Do you see how relevant that is for us? When we start talking about sharing our faith in Jesus, we need to know who it is that we're talking to. We need to recognize where they are because not everybody is in the same place. Somebody may be very far from Jesus but have good questions. Somebody else might be really, really close and have good questions. We've got to listen and ask to know. God had a plan for the eunuch from the beginning. Before Philip ever encountered him, God had a plan for the eunuch. And it was that the eunuch would come into a relationship with Jesus, that he would come to know Jesus. But part of God's plan is also that the eunuch, as he became a follower of Jesus, would impact the nation of Ethiopia. Four centuries later, we find in Ethiopia archaeological evidence of a church that's vibrant and healthy that probably dates back to this eunuch coming back to Ethiopia and sharing his faith in Jesus. Sharing Jesus is all about being responsive to God. Don't miss that. I want to pause for a second and just give another observation because there there are at least two different kinds of people who are here this morning. Some of you who are are here this morning are followers of Jesus. You've sold out. You've said, God, whatever you want, I'm willing to do. But there's another segment of people here as well. There are people who have questions. You may be here because it's just your habit that you go to church. It may be that you're here because your husband or wife makes you come. It may be that you're here because... You're going through lots of junk in your life and you got questions and you're hoping maybe today, maybe today I might find some answers to the stuff I'm going through. If you're in that second group, that 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 um, that group of people that have questions that maybe aren't there completely with Jesus, I want to say to you this morning, you're in a safe place. We want you here 
at North Point. We want this to be a safe place that you can ask questions, that you don't feel like you've got to have it all figured out before you ever walk in the door. Because look what happens with, with the Ethiopian eunuch. He begins to seek Jesus and he comes with an open mind. If you're here and if you've got questions, here's the observation that comes from this passage of scripture. Seeking Jesus demands an open mind. The eunuch was a Jew. He knew the law, but he didn't understand what he was reading in in Isaiah. It would have been easy for him to just simply dismiss it and say, I don't get that and walk away. I believe in God. That's enough. He had an open mind. Um, he, he, He didn't understand, so he began to search, and he wasn't afraid to ask questions. This is a safe place to ask questions. At the end of the message today, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm just going to make a, a straight kind of appeal to say, you know what, if you've got questions about Jesus, I want you to come down and talk to me. Talk to one of the elders. Dan did uh, the beginning. Talk to a life group leader, but come down and find me because I'm probably the easiest to find right now. And, and um, I'm happy to help or to channel you to somebody else that you can have that conversation with. If you've got questions, articulate those questions. Don't just sit passively. Don't be afraid to ask questions. The eunuch was teachable. And I think that's so important. It's so important for us to be teachable. It doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not. If you think you have all the answers, uh, let me just say to you, you're fooling yourself. We all need to be teachable. That will transform your relationship with your husband or wife. If you're teachable, it will transform the relationship with your kids, with people at work. If you have a teachable spirit, Um, the eunuch, when you when you begin to envision what his position was, he was essentially the secretary of the treasury. It was either that or he was the financial advisor of the queen of Ethiopia. He had position and power and wealth. He had everything that we look for in life. Well, almost everything because he was a eunuch, right? Um, There were some limitations to that. Some of you are still kind of thinking through that, okay? Um, He had all this stuff, and yet he was teachable. He said, how can I understand this unless somebody teaches me? If you're serious about following Jesus, have a teachable spirit. Why, Why didn't he understand what he was reading? It was because... His starting place was wrong. He had, a, he had a, a misconception about who the Messiah would be. For all the Jews, they envisioned that the Messiah would come, that he would turn the world upside down, that, that he, would, um, he would come in, he would wipe out the power of Rome, and that he would be established as a king on a throne in Jerusalem like David was. That was their picture, and it was the wrong picture. That's why he didn't understand He had to be teachable. For us, many of us have the wrong picture of Jesus. We see Jesus as kind of this magic token that we can wave over stuff. That if if we say yes to Jesus, all of a sudden everything in our life is going to change. All of our problems are going to go away. All of a sudden we're going to be rich. We're going to live in a nice house. Um, You know, my, my wife or my husband is going to love me in a way that they never have before. Jesus is not a magic token. That's not a... a, um, That's not a solid perspective of who Jesus is, which kind of leads us into this next section. A real relationship with Jesus is built on an understanding of who he is and why he came. The eunuch thought that he was going to come as an earthly king. 
But he's reading in Isaiah 53, and all of a sudden, his perspective changes dramatically. Listen to these words from Isaiah 53, starting in verse 4. It describes the Messiah as a suffering servant, not as a conquering hero. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone, every one of us to our own way. The Lord laid on the Messiah the iniquity, the sin of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, but he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, he was stricken for the transgression of of my people. A right relationship with Jesus comes from understanding who he is and why he came. We try and remake Jesus into the image that we want. Realize that's that at its core is what idolatry is. It's when we try and structure, when we try and create a savior, a real relationship with Jesus comes from understanding who he is and why he came. How do we get that? It's from diving into Scripture. It's from looking at Scripture and and making sense, asking questions, just like the eunuch did out of Isaiah 53. Once we begin to understand who Jesus is, that relationship begins to grow. And as that relationship grows, it calls us to a response of, of some kind. When we share Jesus, um, there needs to be an opportunity for people to make a, re, uh, a response. Most of you don't know this. I, this is not something I've, I've shared over the last uh, six or eight months. Um, when I graduated from college um, and Deb and I first got married, I didn't plan on being a vocational minister. That's not what I thought that God wanted me to do. And, um, and so when we first graduated and first got married, I sold wood-burning stoves. I was in direct sales. I was one of those guys who knocked on doors, who came around and said, oh man, your, your, uh, your heating bill's way too high. I can save you money with a buck stove. Um, you know, I, I looked down chimneys, I climbed on roofs, did all that kind of stuff. But I remember in the training that happened that year, that year that I was a salesman, there was very specific training on what they call the close in sales. You know what the close is? The close is helping the, the customer come to a point that they take action on the information. Because I, I could share all kinds of information. I could tell about how the air worked in the stove and, and the heat, what it did, how it turned the air inside the house upside down and, and created this, this exchange that heated your house. I could talk about the benefits of the stove all I wanted. But if I never asked someone to say, do you want to buy a stove? There was never a close. A relationship with Jesus calls us to some kind of response. I remember with my kids, with my daughters, when, when they were teens, they talked with, uh, uh, about having a, uh, a 
DTR, a determine the relationship conversation with the boys that they dated. You know, it's, it's okay, what's this, what's, does this relationship have a future or not? So they'd sit down and say, okay, you know, what do you care about? What do I care about? Is there a future to this? A, a determine the relationship kind of a conversation. We need, when we share Jesus, to have a determine the relationship kind of a conversation, to offer an opportunity for people to respond. How do we know that? How do we know that we see that model here in this passage of Scripture? It's because they come to water and the eunuch says, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? Implicit in that conversation was a response for what it meant to follow Jesus. Um, So much of the time, one of the things that that grieves me, and if you've ever said this, I don't think you've probably said it to me, but let me just tell you, it grieves me to hear people who are followers of Jesus say, you know, I'm a silent witness for Jesus. I just want to be a silent witness at work. A silent witness is a salesman that just talks about the benefits or that just enjoys the benefits of their product and never tells anybody else and never calls them to action. Never, it never helps lead them into that process. We need to, we need, when we share Jesus, to offer people a chance to say yes to him. Um, The eunuch wanted to respond as they studied through Isaiah. He wanted to respond and he saw water and he said, uh, what keeps me from being baptized? If you jump to Romans six, what's the deal with baptism? Uh, You know, again, in, in our, in our group today, there are people who have been baptized um, right about the time that they became a follower of Jesus. They believed and confessed, repented of their sins, um, and were baptized right away. There are other people that maybe were baptized when they were babies, and, and, and it was an act that, the, that their parents um, that did, an act of dedication for them. There are other people that have never taken that step. What is the deal with baptism? Because it's all the way through the book of Acts. You see it over and over and over again. In baptism, we're connected to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When a person goes down into the water, it's like they're being buried just as Jesus was buried after he was crucified. When they come up out of the water, they come out in in a new life. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says, uh, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are new. I think God knew that we needed something very tangible that would allow us to unite with Jesus in a physical way in his death, burial, and resurrection. Romans 6, verse 3 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If we've been united with him in death like his, we'll certainly be united with him in a resurrection like him. Baptism, baptism is a big deal, not because I say so, but because scripture shows us that. We see that pattern over and over again. And in this particular, in this particular case, it's, I think it's kind of interesting because um, one of the things that we see in this pattern is that the response of the eunuch was immediate. I think that that as we study through the book of Acts, you'll see that as well. That when you become a follower of Jesus, when you make that um, profession of faith, when you say, I want Jesus to come in and have complete control over my life, that the pattern in the New Testament was that they responded right away. The eunuch said, hey, there's water. Why can't I do this right now? And they stopped the chariot 
They stop it right then and there, go down into the water, and he's baptized. And God calls Philip away, and the eunuch goes on his way. Um, the, one of the other things that I think that, that we discover out of this passage is that um, Philip didn't say, yeah, you can be baptized. Time out. Let me go get one of the apostles from Jerusalem. Get him down here to do that. Baptism is, is not, uh, it's not a deal that it takes anything, anybody special, you know, somebody who's been ordained in order to be able to do that. One of the coolest things is for you, as you share your faith with somebody, to be the person, to be the midwife that helps them in the process of being baptized. That's the pattern that's, that's there in Scripture. It's, um, it's, uh, it's such a cool thing to be able to be a part of that. And I would encourage you, as you share faith, to allow God to use you in that way. The last thing I, want to, I just want to share in, in terms of uh, sharing Jesus um, calls us to some kind of response, to some uh, level of obedience, is that in the last phrase that's there in, um, in Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 39, it says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. When we obey, joy follows. Uh, it's such an incredible thing as somebody who's been around and seen lots of people baptized. There's an incredible thing that happens when somebody is immersed, when, when somebody makes that decision to follow Jesus and be baptized. Joy comes in. The Spirit of God comes in. And, um, and joy is just so present everywhere. Joy follows obedience for us. Um, let me share, let me share uh, one thing just real quick as kind of a side issue. Um, I don't know how closely you're looking at your scripture. If you've got a, a copy of the Bible there or if you're looking on your phone or uh, on a tablet or whatever. But uh, let me just point something out. Go to Acts chapter 8, look at verse 36 and see what happens. Verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to water and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38, and he commanded the... What happened? There's no 37. Where'd it go? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Anybody have it in their Bible? Do you have verse 37? A few? Anybody that has a King James, it's there. All right. Um, here's, here's the deal. And I want to point this out because I think it, it points to the reliability of Scripture. Um, but we can trust Scripture, the Scripture that we have. 1607. The, the Bible is translated from Greek and Hebrew into English, the King James Version. You got that? After that point in time, uh, well, in, in that process, um, chapters and verses were assigned. Uh, okay? So, so the, it becomes easier to kind of sort through and to identify where you are in Scripture. Um, in 1607, they used the manuscripts that they had available at that point in time, to translate into English. In the years since 1607, in the last 500 years, um, around, the, around the world we have discovered manuscripts that predate those manuscripts that were used in, uh, in the late 1500s, the early 1600s. And those manuscripts predate that. That means that they were closer to the time that the original documents were written. So when Luke wrote out, this, this biography of the New, Te- New Testament church, um, it may have been 800 or 1,000 years 
before the manuscript that was used to translate into King James um, was, was used. And in the last several hundred years, we've been able to, to find manuscripts that are earlier that don't include verse 37. What's verse 37 say? Uh, this is it in the King James Version, and you'll be grateful that we use ESV instead of King James. Uh, verse 36, as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Verse 37, and Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is, that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Verse 37, basically Philip says, hey, if you believe with your whole heart that Jesus is the Messiah, you can be baptized. Now, there's not anything unbiblical about that, but what we think historically happened was that somebody wrote that in the margin to just try and help tell the story, and that that got incorporated and ultimately was translated and was given a verse number. Here's my my point, and this this is the reason why I want to say it. We can trust Scripture because what's happened with the manuscript evidence is we've gotten closer and closer to, to the time of the original documents. The New Testament is the most reliable documents from, from um, history of any documents that exist. The amount of time from the originals to the first documents that we have, the first manuscripts, is less than 100 years. That's so much shorter than any of the Greek philosophers of Socrates or Plato. Homer's Iliad, the, the time distance is somewhere between 800 and 1,000 years for manuscript fragments And yet we trust those as historically accurate. We can trust the Bible that we have. And so the absence of verse 37 is not a bad thing. It's a really good thing that's there for us. I'm I'm, I'm coming to a close. I'm going to land the ship, all right? Um, If you would right now, uh, if you've got your phone, take out your phone. And if you don't have your phone, take out maybe a piece of paper, all right? If you've got your phone... If you've got your phone, I want you to go to your contact list right now and just start to scroll down through your contact list and look at the names of the people who are there. If you don't have a phone and you you want to take some notes on a piece of paper, just start to write down the names of the people that are the closest to you, maybe people in your family, your friends, the people you spend the most time with, the people that you know are on your contact list. And here's the challenge. If you've been a follower of Jesus for probably three years or longer, most of your contact list is going to be populated by people who are followers of Jesus. If you're writing names down on a piece of paper, if you've been a follower of Jesus for more than three years, most of the names that are going to be written on that piece of paper are going to be followers of Jesus. Why is that? It's because they share the same worldview as you. They, They have a common value system. You connect with them easier because they get who Jesus is. They get what you're, how you're trying to live your life. They get all that. Please understand that the world is full of people like the eunuch who don't know Jesus that are waiting for someone to come and explain in a way that they can understand who he is. The world is full of people who understand kind of who God is, but they don't get why Jesus came. And they'll miss eternity without him. If you're a follower of Jesus, my biggest prayer this morning is that 
is that God would bring lots of people into your life who don't know him, that you can be responsive to the Holy Spirit. It may not be an angel who talks to you, but that God would speak and would put you in position to have a conversation where you can listen, where you can ask questions, where you can listen some more and begin to teach, begin to tell your story about who Jesus is. Let's pray. God, we are, we really are desperate to be the church that you want us to be. We don't want to be a collection of people who just go through the motions. We don't want to be a collection of people that are just good moral people, God. We want Jesus in us, having complete control. God, we want to live the life that you designed for us. We want to know and experience your love and grace every day over and over again. God, we want to be a church that makes it easy for people to follow you. We want to be a church that, that's sensitive and responds to your spirit. God, that gives hope and joy to people who are far from you, who are trying to find their way back to you, who are trying to make sense of the questions that fill their minds and their hearts. Help us, Lord. Help us this week see the conversations that you put in front of us that lead to Jesus. Help us this week, God, be sensitive to people who are hurting, that we can come alongside in love. Help us, God, this week to to just sense your spirit at work so that we can respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.